Um, I came on staff two and a half years ago. I got a call from Phil and Tammy, who are my parents. I know. Um, They're very blessed to have me. (laughs) Um, And uh, they're like, hey, Jen, we need a missions pastor. Do you want to come on staff? And I was like, (laughs) no. Uh, And it was just like that. And it wasn't because I didn't love missions. I love missions. Missions have been a part of my life, okay? I've worked at churches. I've worked for nonprofits. I've been on the board of nonprofits. I have volunteered for many nonprofits. Missions has been my life. However, I had a job that I wasn't super passionate about, but I was passionate about the money. Anybody know what I'm saying? Anybody in sales know what I'm saying, okay? And so I was like, I think I'm good. Um, But God has a way of reminding you in a still small and at times gut-wrenching voice um, that the things that you truly love, okay, and the things that you are called to do are a little bit different. And this could be a vocational call. Um, Sometimes God will call us into a different vocation, not even necessarily um, in a church sense, just a different position that he's calling you into. But God will always call us personally. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he will always call you personally into the place that he wants you to advance the kingdom to other believers. And, you know... um, I just, I was always trying to figure out after college, like, what I wanted to do. I knew I loved um, missions. I I knew I loved ministry. I went to APU, go Cougars, um, and I I got a degree in childhood education and history, and I taught for a minute, and then I realized, wow, making $18,000 a year before taxes in California means I'll live with mom and dad forever, so I quickly changed gears, clearly, Um, and I moved to Denver. I moved in with my big brother. Now, my big brother, Jeremy, is one of the smartest men I've ever known in my life. Um, He definitely gets it from my dad. Um, He has been in the banking industry for 25 years. He is brilliant at what he does, and so I moved in with him. We were having dinner one night, and he's like, hey, Jenny, I'm just so happy you're here, and I can't wait to see what job you get, which meant stop watching Grey's Anatomy in my basement and go get a job. So I, um, so I got on uh, Craigslist, because LinkedIn wasn't a thing at the time, and I got a job. Now, this was no ordinary job. This would go down in history as the most embarrassing job I've ever had in my entire life. Are you guys ready for this? Okay. The job was handing out salami on the streets of downtown Denver. Yeah, salami, like the meat. I got offered a job as a promotional model where no modeling was required. And um, what you had to do is you had to promote different products. And our first product was handing out Gallo salami on the streets of downtown Denver. Now, um, being a 23-year-old woman handing out sticks of meat as people left their posh office jobs and went to a gorgeous lunch was mortifying, to say the least, okay? Okay. Um, and I bet you're like, oh, man, I, get sh- I bet she got a lot of, co- I got every comment in the book, okay? Now, some of you are like, I bet she hasn't heard this one. <laughs> I bet I have, okay? I did it for seven days a week for three months straight. I heard every comment in the book. Now, you're saying, why did you take this job? Well, it was 2009. Anybody remember the economy in 2009? And um, they offered $20 an hour, and I was like, oh, yes, money does speak to me. Uh, it is worth the humiliation, and so... Um, we had this rule where we would have these massive tubs of salami and you couldn't leave the job until all the bins of meat were gone. And so like, think about how many pig sacrifices were in these things, right? And so I'm handing out sticks and guys are throwing it at my face. You know, it it was really awesome. And um, I remember I heard this guy behind me go, excuse me, can I have some? And I turned around and it was a gentleman who was currently struggling with homelessness. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, take as much as you want. And he takes like two. I'm like, no, seriously, take as much as you want. Like one, this is my quota, and two, this stuff has enough salt, it will not go bad, okay? And so he took a bunch, and um, I got to thinking like, why am I handing this out to people who are literally throwing it back in my face or throwing it on the floor for me to pick up when there are people that actually are hungry that need it? Now, Denver um, is really the spearhead when it comes to developing creative ways for homeless to get back into society, whether that's through jobs, and transportation and and apartments. And so one of the things that they have is called the 16th Street Bus. Now, the 16th Street Bus is not just for individuals struggling with homelessness. Everybody rides the bus. It's a free bus up and down this mall downtown. So I thought, I'm going to ride the bus. I'm going to bring all my tubs and me on the bus. I can sit down when I want, and I'm just going to hand it out as people get on the bus. The bus drivers loved me because it was like, hi, 25 cents for the bus. Oh, wait, no, it's free. Oh, and you get salami. It was like, great, you know? And so um, this is what I did. And I would start at 9, and I would be done by 11. My five tubs of meat would be gone by 11. And it was awesome. And my brother would be like, I thought you were working. I'm like, I did, and I got paid $160, and everybody got fed. Like, this is amazing. And um, and as I, as I was thinking about this time in my life, I remember the brand manager came up to me, and he was like, hey, um, Gala wants to know what you're doing. I mean, they're like blown away with your sales skills. And I was like, oh, I'm riding the bus and I'm giving it out to homeless individuals. And, um, and he was like, I'm sorry? And I was like, yeah, I mean other people, but I'm giving it to the homeless individuals first because they need to eat first. And then I'll give it to everybody else who might need it. And they're like, well, Gala's is up. Like their meat sales are up and they contribute it to you because all, it's all of, the, all of the grocery stores around 16th Street Mall. So he was like, can't wait to sign you up for the next brand. And I was like, listen, it has been a pleasure, okay? <laughs> Truly. But spraying Axe body spray in a grown man with a mullet inside a Walmart is where I draw the line, okay? So um, I'm going to go ahead and quit. Um, but I was thinking about this time in my life and how it came full circle. One, in my sales career, praise the Lord. Uh, but also how when I was sitting on the couch in Denver in 2019 and I got this call from my parents and I said no. And then the Lord said, I want you to take this job. And I said, you said what? That's going to be a hard no, Lord. And then he kept saying it over and over and over and over. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And then guess what happened? The Lord got his daddy voice on. Any daddies in the house know what I'm talking about? When your kids are not listening and they're going the wrong way and you got to get your daddy voice on? Well, the Lord has a daddy voice too. And so he got his daddy voice on and he said, Jen, you were searching for a specific position instead of positioning yourself for your true assignment. And so many of us do this. We think, okay, if I have the perfect marriage, or I have this type of marriage and this type of house and this type of job and my kids are this type of way and we have this type of friends and everything's going to be great. And while all of these are amazing, wonderful blessings from God and we are so grateful for them, there's always something missing in the equation. When we put an emphasis more on the type of life we want than the call on our life that he wants, we will always be left feeling unfulfilled. Because we have been called, if you are a Christ follower, you have been called to follow Jesus. That is your number one call. When Jesus called the disciples, they literally dropped everything, including their careers. And you're like, why? Why? Because they knew that the call that Jesus had on their life was of greater importance than anything they've ever been called to before. 
And when, and I'm not telling you to go quit your careers. Okay, listen, we need people in every single facet, in every single career to witness. If we're all pastors, then where, how is everybody else going to know about Jesus? I'm not telling you to quit your job. What I'm saying is, is that truly following Christ means listening to his voice, following his instructions, maybe changing some habits or some friendships that aren't healthy for you. Maybe altering and transforming the way that you currently live so that you can step in to the life that God has called you to live. And the truth is, if we're honest, this can be hard, right? Like, okay, Lord, you're looking at me like, let's see. Am I following the world or am I following the one? How many of us really ask that? Am I, am I following Jesus or I'm, or I'm following the Joneses? And I don't know about you, but this is a conversation I have. You're like, the pastor has us? Yes, pastors struggle too. Maybe more because the enemy's trying to get us down. And in my head, I say, I, but I want to travel and I want to do this and I want to do that. We want to do this. My husband and I want to do that. Oh, yeah, we want a second home. We want this. And we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And Jesus says, sometimes, Jenny, you can't do your will because it's out of alignment with my will. And you need to be obedient and listen to what I am asking you to do. So the title of my message today is, you said what? And we're going to look up uh, Matthew 28. We're going to look at two commands that Jesus gave his followers. If you have your Bible, raise them up. Where's my holy rollers? Holy rollers. Hey. Hey, y'all, if you bring your wallet to get a coffee, you can bring your Bible. Just looking about Jesus. Whoa, she getting it. No condemnation, babe. No condemnation. Just the truth. Okay. Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. All right, a little background. So Jesus has already died. He's already been buried and he rose again. And he was now meeting up with his disciples to give them the final call to action for their life. Hey, this is what you're gonna do. And this is not only for the for the current or the past disciples, this is for every disciple. Jesus is giving us all the call to action. Now, some of us read this and we think, okay, Maybe this, this title, the Great Commission, which is what this, this verse is called, is just for pastors and for missionaries and, and pe- people like that. And then maybe some of us read it and we're like, okay, this is for all of us. So we read it and we study it and maybe we even quote it, but we don't actually go out and live it. As a kid, one of my favorite games was Simon Says. Anybody remember Simon Says? All right, if you're like 16 and under, you have no idea what this is because it's not an app. Um, but... People actually used to play with one another outside and, like, talk, and there was no screens. It was wild. Um, So anyway, uh, this game, Simon says, like, I was so intense. I'm a very intense person, if you could not tell. Praise Jesus for my precious, beautiful husband. It is so amazing Um, (laughs) for putting up with me. I have calmed down, if you can believe that. Um, But anyway, I love Simon Says. I was so intense. I was like, I will not lose. So it's like Simon Says, pat your head. Simon Says, jump up and down. Simon Says, twirl, stop. Oh, Simon didn't say stop. And you're out, right? And you're like, oh my gosh. And it's so frustrating. You're out of the game. You don't want to be out of the game. You do everything you can to listen to what Simon Says and to do exactly like it. Yet many of us are sitting out of God's game because we're not listening to what he says and then doing it. 
And it's funny because in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. You don't have to necessarily do it. You just have to read it, memorize it, highlight it. Yet when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he means go and make disciples. If I told my husband, hey, honey, can you go pick up Gracie Bell from school? He wouldn't come to me an hour later and be like, okay, Jen, I got a map quest. I mapped out the fastest route. I figured out when the lights turn red, so I'm not going to go during that time because I want all greens to get to school. And then later on, me and Christian, we're going to have a study group. We're going to look up, okay, how do we get, how do we be the best dads out there to get to our kids' school the fastest time ever? No. He knows he has to go pick up Gracie Bell from school physically. Our child's still sitting there. But yet with the Bible, we don't do that, do we? When the Bible instructs us or maybe even commands us to do stuff, we don't physically do it. We just kind of highlight it. And I was thinking about this picture, how comical it would be if, like, we all got up to heaven and we're like, okay, Lord, sit down. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you everything I memorized. Just wait. Oh, Lord. Ooh, next level insight in my Bible. Highlighted. Not that page. Oops, missed that one. Oh, here we go, here we go. Oh, and look at, look at everything I wrote, Lord. I wrote so much stuff down that, like, you gave me insight. But we're not going to do that. He wants to see us physically do it. We have to play the game in order to win the game. We can't just sit on the bench watching what everybody else is doing. We can't memorize the plays and expect a good outcome. We have to run in on the court and get it in the game. And many of us kind of have our life on autopilot. I know I do. I am a creature of routine. I like routine. I crave routine. I wake up, and I make breakfast, and I get my babies to school, and, and I work, and then we go work out, and we go to the gym, and I make dinner, and then we watch TV, some crazy show on Netflix. We stay up till 1 a.m. because we're addicted, and then we go to bed, and then maybe on Wednesday night, we go to a Bible study, and then maybe first Fridays on Fridays, and then we go to church, you know, for an hour, maybe an hour and a half if Pastor Phil's on a roll, and that's our week. And it's our week, and it's week by week, and month by month, and that is our life. Yet, when we live in this bubble of routine, we become creatures of habit, and so we don't make room for things that are uncomfortable in our life. But what if we said, I'm willing to just be a little bit uncomfortable? I'm not willing to go to Ghana, but I'm willing to be a little uncomfortable. And so as I raise my babies, and I make dinner, and I go to the gym, and I go to the grocery store, and I hang out with grandkids, and I go to school, and I go to soccer practice, and I do all of the things, I intertwine Jesus and his word and what he's called me to do a little bit more and more every day in my life. And then it doesn't become awkward like this massive thing. It just slowly begins to flow in our life and become part of our habits. When I was a kid, I was really weird. I was really in, I was really into discipleship, okay? And then I got in my 20s and that changed, which we'll talk about later. But when I, I was like really weird. Like I would put tracks in kids' lockers. I would hand out tracks at the movie theater and the grocery store. And TJ Maxx, yes, my mother was still shopping at TJ Maxx. We call it Tammy and Jenny to the max because we crushed that store. <laughs> and, uh, and I just did. And I would like read my Bible during like, you know, quiet time. And I remember one time I got sent to the principals. Even in the 90s, you couldn't read your Bible in, in school. And I told Mr. Milena, my principal, I said, I was sassy. I was like, Mr. Milena, I'm happy to sit here all day so you can watch me read my Bible. And he sent me back to Miss Hawkins, Finks, and Van Gunny's room because he didn't want to watch me read my Bible. But I was really like into this. And so I remember I wanted to go on this missions trip. And so we decided when I was 14 to go to Jamaica on a medical missions trip. And it was not like, you know, fun Jamaica. It was like villages Jamaica. 
And we were doing some outreach, and we were doing medical, and women's teeth, we were pulling teeth, and we were giving glasses, and we were doing all of these things. And I remember I saw this little baby, and she had a onesie on and pants, and she was just laying in the dirt, not even on a blanket, just laying on the dirt. And I'm, like, looking around, like, where's this child's parents? Like, what the heck's going on? And I'm looking all around, and nobody's claiming this baby. And so I walk over, and I pick up the baby, and I start rocking the baby. Well, now all of the village people are concerned. They now hear the baby. And they rush over, and they're like, what are you doing? Put her down. And I'm like, she's crying. Like, she needs, she needs help. She's, where's the mom? And my 14-year-old self was just like, I don't, what's happening? And they're like, she has worms. And if you don't drop her, you're going to get them too. Well, I was stubborn. And so my parents looked at me. They knew I was not going to drop that child. Because I knew that this was not the risk. Getting worms was not the risk. The risk was us leaving them, not knowing the magnitude of God's love for them. This trip was more than just a medical mission trip where we would do physicals and pull teeth and, and give them glasses. And yes, they very much needed that. But this trip was about showing them the goodness and grace, loving God that they've never experienced before. Because you can get new glasses, but if you don't see the magnitude of God's love, you can, you can get a physical. But if you don't experience the true physician, then you're no better than before we left off. Because it's a temporary thing. And knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is a permanent thing. And by showing love and compassion and tenderness to this baby that nobody cared about, they, they started asking me questions. And when they asked questions, their hearts opened. And when their hearts opened, then they began to experience God's love and salvation occurred. It's twofold, y'all. We have to do them both. And sometimes the only way to get people to see God's love is when they say, see other human beings loving them despite their circumstances. In Matthew 25, when Jesus is describing the actions of those who are going to be welcomed into the Father's house, Father's kingdom, he says, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous on the right will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did for the least of my brethren, you did for me. Matthew 25 demonstrates the shocking depth of Jesus' love for the human race. His empathy with the least of these, his empathy for the people who are in seasons of struggle. And we all have seasons of struggle. None of us are beyond this. It's just some is deeper than others. It's so profound that when we reach out to them and we love them and we enter into their pain, it is as if we are embracing Jesus himself. And in society, we are also separated in two groups. If you have a house and you have clothes and you have food, you're on this side. And if you don't, you're on this. And those who are on the left are often, they're not welcome. 
They are spoken down to. They're looked down on. And many times they're disregarded. But, you know, God says heaven's going to look a little bit different. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're all going to go to heaven. But Jesus says there is an inheritance waiting for those who are willing to live like me. And there's not one for people who are willing to live for themselves. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in the Beverly Hills of heaven. I want to live in the heaven that says, here's your inheritance because every single day you live like me. Every single day you loved people. You didn't look down on people. You know, there's a homeless gentleman that lives around here named Paul. He sleeps in the post office, and it's kind of a running joke because I just give him women of influence clothes. I just do, and then I, you know, will give them my, I'll pay, pay for them, but I just give them to him. And so he has, like, you know, different shirts on, and um, there, some of them are female shirts. He doesn't care. Listen. This gentleman might come to know the Lord, even though he's struggling very much with a drug addiction, just by loving him. Don't get so uncomfortable that the homeless are invading our area. This is good, because I believe this is where revival is going to happen. You want to talk about Jesus culture and the hippies? Is there anybody dirtier and gross and looked down upon than homeless? This is where Jesus is going to invade. And Jesus came to me so deeply and said, you need to be so deep into the homeless population because this is where I'm coming. This is where I'm going to bring revival. And I want to be a part of revival. And I know it's going to start with them. Because Jesus came for the least of these. Not for those who have it together. The greatest commandment, Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. If this is our call, if this is what God has called us to do, then we need to understand that love has no loopholes. We can't love who we want and then judge who doesn't look lovable. If we keep putting people on trial and deciding who is worthy and who is not of love, then we are missing the whole point of Jesus' command. Living out the great commandment, as described in Matthew 22, catalyzes the great commission because when people experience the love of Christ through us, through our actions, it then prepares them to hear the message of God. And the message of God is what we do as disciples is to bring it. Our job is to make heaven more crowded. It's amazing. I started looking into you know, Christianity and stats. I'm, I'm a history major like my dad, and so I, I, I'm, I'm interested in studying and researching, and I can't believe that actually Christianity is on the rise. A whole 1.17%. But what's amazing is they're saying by the middle of this year, there will be 2.56 billion Christians, and primarily they reside in South America, Asia, and Africa. However, in the United States, Christianity is down 29%. And 29% of adults say they have no religious affiliation at all. That has dropped 6% in six years. So 1% a year are moving away and saying, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a God. I don't think there's any religion. And there's this really interesting article I read this week called, Regular Christians are no longer welcome in American culture. And honest, I wasn't surprised. The Times wrote it. This didn't surprise me, but not because they wrote it. It didn't surprise me because America's kind of about us, aren't we? Like, mm, that doesn't make me feel good. Mm, I'd really like that. Mm, that's really uncomfortable. Mm, somebody else can do that. Yeah, no, I, th I think I'm good. It kind of reminds me of this uh, country song. Anybody like country? There's a country song called, I want to talk about me, want to talk about I, want to talk about number one on my, me, my, what I like, what I think, what I want, what I do, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually. But occasionally, 
I want to talk about me. And that's Christianity. I mean, that's, that's American Christianity. If it's not about me, I'm good. And this is what America has turned into. And I'm sorry, but we are losing ground in America on a lot of ways, in a lot of levels. And part of it is because we have become lazy. We have become silent. We have become comfortable not sharing, comfortable not speaking up, comfortable not saying something. And so little by little, more people move away. Little by little, people slip away. And I love this quote. It says, many Christians love evangelism as long as someone else is doing it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a regular Christian. I don't want to let my fear and my laziness and my worry that I'm going to offend someone affect someone's eternal life because this isn't just 70 or 80 or 90 years of someone's life. This is eternity. And listen, you're like, oh, well, the missions pastor, she's really condemning today. Listen, this is, this is not condemnation. This is calling. And I lived a lot of years when my husband and I were just jet-setting to Italy and Iceland and Fiji, and all of them are really wonderful. I highly recommend it. <laughs> but I lost a lot of ground in those season. That season where we were living that love and life, which we still are super obsessed with each other and in love, and my brother gets grossed out, but I don't even care. Like, this is how you should be in marriage. Um, <laughs> right, baby? Um, but I lost a lot of ground, and so I'm telling you this because God is convicting me probably triple what any of you are feeling right now because we should. You know, we've had the opportunity to spend some time at the Salvation Army, and we do um, worship and, and prayer night. I don't lead worship. Uh, Drew and Wit and Chino and Alex do, but uh, we just go in and we just worship and we just pray and we just spend time with these amazing men and women at the emergency shelter in Anaheim, less than 10 minutes away from us. And uh, it's amazing because we've seen a lot of healing happen. We've seen a lot of breakthrough happen, but not just with the residents. We have seen it with individuals from our church who have come to serve and have in return have been served. We have seen people from all walks of life and all ages and all races and both genders coming together as Christ followers, not as I live here and you live here and you did this and I did this. No, we are coming together and we are loving one another and we are praying over one another and we are believing. And the greatest thing was I was praying with this, this man who's, who gave me his story and it was a tragic story. And then he looked at me and he goes, how can I pray for you? And I broke down and I told him something very personal in my life and he started crying and he goes, let's believe together. You guys, this is Christianity. This is what we're called to do. And the truth is we all serve the same God and the truth is God came to save us all. And our calling, Jesus said, is to go. Go. And some of us need to say, stop asking. You said, well, Lord, and we just need to Go. It doesn't matter if you have all the answers. This is the number one question I get. But Jenny, what if they ask me something I don't know? That's okay. Say, hey, let's, let's find out the answer together. Let me get back with you on that. It doesn't matter if you don't have 10,000 Bible verses memorized. If you shake, shake, but still go. If you tremble, tremble, but don't stop. Keep going because the kingdom at heaven is at hand and it is so close. When I was six years old, I led my first person to Christ. I went up to her in first grade. I said, hi, is Jesus in your heart? And she said, no. And I said, oh, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> my mother obviously got a phone call, a very heated phone call from her mother. But through that, a conversation started. 
And through that, a very deep friendship came. And that little girl came to know the Lord, and her parents came to know the Lord, and her brother came to know the Lord. And 30 years later, they are still some of our best friends. I didn't know what I was doing. I was six. I said a lot wrong, obviously. But I would rather say something than not. Because when I get to heaven and I, and I look at those pearly gates, I don't want to think, gosh, where's so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so? And we have a lot of family in our life that don't know Jesus. And I'm not willing to go to heaven without them. I got a lot of friends right now that are on some path. I don't even know where to find the path they're on. And I'm not willing to go to heaven without them. And so I want to challenge you today to be a true disciple, just like I challenged myself when I was writing this message. And all a disciple is is truly, completely surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and then saying, I'm going to follow you. And so I'm going to love people and I'm going to bring the word to people. And you can intertwine this in your life so easy. You can just be kind. Be, be a little more patient with people. Let them wonder what's different about you. And then they ask, and then you say, Jesus. You know, we're heading out to Mexico in 18 days. Uh, we are taking 26 people to Mexico, and we got everybody. We got contractors going. We got personal trainers going. We got pastors going. We got moms going, grandmas going. We got everybody going to Mexico, and we're going to build this house and uh, the, for the Magaloon family, the dad works as, as a security officer. I think we might have a picture of them. He works as a security officer. Um, and I think we have how much money he makes in pesos, don't we, somewhere? Maybe. I think he makes like $107 a week. The mom, Nora, was in a very bad car accident and um, is disabled and no longer can work. And they have two daughters. They also have a a nephew and a niece that are living with them. And so we're going to go build a house, a three-bedroom house with a loft. We're going to furnish it for them. And it costs $16,362. $16,362 to build a house, fully furnish it, and give them a bathroom. And that was actually an option, to give them a bathroom. With four women, I think they need a bathroom. And I was thinking, I was like, man, that's some people's, like, electric bill in the summer. And we can build an entire house. But also part of this weekend is that we're going to go into the community and we're going to bring Bibles. And we're going to bring the purple book. And we are going to show them Christ. We are going to to give them our testimony and how God changed our life. And we are praying for hundreds of salvations on this trip. And we are very excited about it. And, you know, I'm never going to be somebody that um, doesn't practice what I preach. I want to do a lot of these trips. I want, to, I want to do what Jesus has called us to do, and I'm going to put it in our present-day terms, is I want to invade Anaheim and Orange County and California and the ends of the earth for Jesus Christ and bring the gospel to all of these people so when we get to heaven, we're like, I know you, 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 I know you. Oh, you, oh, you made it, girl, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I planted that seed. Somebody must have got you. Woo! I want to get excited about it. I want it to be like we walk around heaven like this. It's too tight. Lord, you got to make this big. We got too many people up in here. That's our job. And I want to know, will you partner with us? Will you partner with us to help us build this house? Because some of you say, I can't go to Mexico. Or I don't want to go to Mexico. I'm scared of Mexico. Some people told me that. I ain't scared. Because I know where I'm going, worst case, you know. And I just got a life insurance policy, so I think I'm okay. But will you consider partnering with us? You can go on to Push Bay. You can press missions. Every penny we get 
from here on out until we go is gonna go to, to this house. But also what's gonna be cool is when we come back and we show you the picture of the house and you say, I put $5 into that house or I put $10, or I put $100, or however much that you can personally do, and I build a house for somebody that not only is a security officer, but volunteers his time as a pastor in rehab centers. How amazing that we get to bless this beautiful, beautiful family with a house. My daughter, and I know I'm over time, but my daughter, I was taking her to school on Monday, and there was a man right outside Target, and she goes, mommy, why doesn't that man have shoes? And I said, well, baby, I think he's maybe living on the streets right now. And she goes, well, maybe we can build him a home like you're gonna build that family in Mexico. Isn't that what Jesus wants us to do? My four-year-old gets it. And somewhere along the line, when I was in elementary school, I lost that. I lost that, yeah, we could do this. And so I wanna call all of us back to do this to get involved, you know, get involved in your community. If you want to get involved in missions, we're doing stuff every single week in the community. And we're going to do more as more nonprofits open up. But come partner with us. Partner with us on the house. Partner with us on the weekdays. We're going to Boys and Girls Club Tuesday. I do Bible studies with Teen Challenge on Thursday. Just come and be a part and see what God does in your life. Amen.